once again, Natalie, thank you for being here. Isn't that, isn't, isn't that staggering to think that if, you, if we were to take a moment of silence, just a moment for all the babies whose lives have been ended through abortion, it'd be over 100 years. It's amazing, amazing to think of the uh, travesty of our nation. And really, it's all over the world. So thank you for the work you're doing. I wasn't aware John Tracy and I went up and took a tour of the facility, and I'm sure you'd be welcome to do that. Take your small group, go individually, and see what they're doing. I wasn't aware of all the help they are, not just to mothers with preborn babies, but to young mothers who may have a, a need for something uh, that they can't afford. And maybe you'd like to donate something that they could give away like that. Lots of ways to help. All right, well, once again, good morning. Thank you for being here at our second service. The sun is shining. The air is crisp. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Years ago when I was in college, I heard the story of a small-town preacher. And uh, he raised a lot of eyebrows in his community. You know, when you're a preacher in a small town, I was once, People get to know you. They start to recognize your face over at the bank or maybe down at the gas station or the grocery store or just all throughout town. They recognize your car. And it's hard to hide from people when you're in a small town because they know your routine. And that was true for this preacher. But somehow he, he had escaped everyone's notice for a brief period of time during the week on Thursday afternoons. And he might have gotten by with it except for, and I'll say a curious, very curious, I could have used another word, a very curious church member who realized that, that his preacher was very much a routine person and he worked every day till four o'clock. I mean, it was almost like clockwork. You could set your watch to when he would walk out the church and get into his car and, and drive home. Unless he had a visit to the hospital or to some church member or a lunch appointment or a personal appointment, he was there in the office. And if you called the church, the secretary would always say, yes, he's here or he's there, except for Thursday afternoons when she would simply say he... He's not in right now. So this church member started getting very suspicious. I mean, he was starting to worry. What in the world is going on with my preacher on Thursday afternoons? What's he up to? Does he have another job that maybe he should have told us about? Is he involved in some kind of a fringe group that could be harmful to both his and the church reputation? Was he having an affair? What was going on on Thursday afternoons? So he decided, I, do I go to the elders? Do I talk to my small group? I know people should know that there's something going on with our preacher on Thursday afternoons. So one day he decided he would stop worrying about it. He had worried about it long enough. He had discussed it with a few other people. He decided he was going to find out. So he parked his car way down the street from the church and at the 
right time, his preacher walked out of the church building, got into his car, and drove out of the parking lot and through town. And the curious church member just followed him from a distance. He went down through the last light. He crossed the bridge and came to a three-way stop and turned left, went over a set of railroad tracks and traveled for another two miles until he came to a dirt road on the right. He turned down the dirt road into a trailer park. It was, a, it was kind of a rundown area of town that not many people talked about, but that's where he went and she, he watched as his preacher pulled up into the driveway of one of those trailers and put his head down. Now we're turning the page today. We're turning the page in our series to chapter six. This is week five of 10 sermons that we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five, six, and seven. We're finished chapter five. And I, I have to say, I've enjoyed it and I hope you have. It's a little bit challenging, isn't it? It's challenging to think that the, the real thing that Jesus is looking at is not necessarily what you do, but why you do it. And so it's really about our relationship, isn't it? I would challenge you to get into these messages, to get into this passage of scripture. If there's, if there's any uh, passages of scripture that can help you make tweaks and adjustments or maybe wholesale changes in your life, in your Christian life, that will help you, it's this passage. It's this passage because there's so much about who we are that comes from, well, who we are, comes from down here. And so we said last week, it's one thing to know God's word, but it's quite another thing to know the God who gave the word. And there are a lot of Christians I feel and over the years even who are living their life and it looks like they know the word of God, but then something happens, you find something out, and you realize, oh, they may know the word of God, they just don't know the God who gave the word. Or else, they wouldn't have done that, they wouldn't have been involved in this, they wouldn't have taken part in that. And so, it's a challenge, it's a challenge for us to obey Christ, to obey God's word with, uh, with a right heart. You know, we, we have to do today what is hard to do, and that is to live counter-cultural. It used to be that uh, being a Christian, even in this country, was a good thing. It was a popular thing. The 1950s, 1960s, the greatest generation led us out of World War II and rebuilt this country and everybody was going to church or synagogue or someplace to worship on Sunday. It was a good thing. But then somehow we started unraveling, didn't we? We took prayer out of schools, Roe v. Wade happened and the sanctity of life took a nosedive in our culture. Television came, computers came, social media came and we became more and more hooked on those things and less hooked on God and especially his word. 
And going to church for a lot of people is a popular thing to do, but not really to get to know the God who gave the word, but because oh, that's where my friends hang out and you know we, we do things together. But when it comes to the word piercing your heart, that's, that's another whole level of you living as a Christian in 2023. And you know, we, we, when we obey laws, we have to, when I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the word, the Old Testament, for instance, we have to understand them and obey them out of the right motivations. For instance, last week we talked about the dietary and the ceremonial laws. There were three kinds of laws, dietary, ceremonial, and moral laws. Well, the dietary and ceremonial laws were intended to set God's people apart, to make them look different. In a time when God was choosing a people, getting this nation out of the world and placing them on a journey where he could send his son so that all the world could be blessed. At this time, they had to look different. They had to dress differently. They had to, they had to work differently. Everything had to be different. They had to talk differently. They worshiped differently. And these dietary and ceremonial laws were, were uh, for that reason, so that they could, oh, you don't cut your hair, I notice you, you don't do that to your beard, so you must, you must be different. And you don't eat the dead carcass of a pig. That broke my heart to find that out, because a dead carcass of a pig is good, isn't it, Darren? And it's delicious. But for Old Testament Jews, no crab legs, no oysters, no lobster, no shrimp, no ribs, no bacon. Whew, anybody getting hungry? But Jesus said those, those things are done. The apostle Paul said, don't let anybody judge you because of what you eat. The gospel now is for everybody. But the moral laws hung around. They hung around. They stuck with us. And we obey the moral laws today. But we obey them not because... We have to, but because it's the right thing to do. We, we, we don't kill. We don't kill whether it's a preborn baby or an elderly person who can't care for themselves because we know God has a heart for life. God has a heart for life. We care for. We care for. Someone told me the story the other day about a friend of theirs who he visited not long before he passed away. And he asked him, he said, what can I do for you? Is there anything I can do for you? He said, cancer came back with a vengeance. And the guy went like that. And that may be what we want, what they want in a situation like that, but that's not what God wants. God wants now the people in his life to show care and compassion and love. Again, whether you're pre-born or getting ready to die of some terrible disease, God has a heart for life. We don't follow the lustful pull of our flesh and commit adultery because we know God has a heart for faithfulness. If you're married, you stay faithful to your spouse. If you're not married yet, you stay faithful to a future spouse. We work at our marriage and keep divorce at bay because we know God has a heart for commitment, even when it doesn't feel good. We keep our promises even when it hurts or is inconvenient to us because we know God has a heart for integrity. We restrain ourselves at getting back at others because we know God has a heart for forgiveness. And we choose not to do the easy thing and hate our enemies. 
We do the hard thing and we love them. We love them and we pray for them. So the main theme of the sermon, folks, this is the, this is the meat of the sermon. This is not milk and cookies here. This is meat and potatoes. This is the main thing of Jesus' sermon. It, it started in chapter 5 and it's going to go through all the way through chapter 7. And it's about the heart. It is about the heart. Check your heart. And so today when we turn to page of chapter 6, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. We could call them basics of faith. That's what we'll call them, basics of faith. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's going to mention three topics here. He's talking about practicing your righteousness. That's living out your faith. And here's three things that he picks out that were common things that they were doing to set themselves apart as, as lovers of God. And now, for us, followers of Christ. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Giving, prayer, and fasting. So here's the initial warning in verse 1. As you do these things, check your motivation. Check your motivation. Let's look at them. Here's the first thing you should do. You should give, but not for a pat on the back. He says here in verse 1, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now the first thing I want you to notice here is he says when you give. He doesn't say if you give. He's expecting that they're doing this. This is a good thing to do. You're supposed to be doing this. By the way, this carries right on through to New Testament Christians in 2023. When you give, it's not a choice. Not for serious believers of God's word, not for a serious follower of Christ. It is an expectation. It's just now that we don't do it in a, I'm going to throw a word at you here. I'm, maybe I've used it before, but you're going to learn a new word. Perfunctory, a perfunctory way. Perfunctory obedience is just, a, it's just mindless obedience just because I have to do it. I got to go to church. I have to do this, I have to do that. No, we do it because of the heart behind it. We do it because of the heart behind it. So when we do this, it's, and, he's, and make no mistake, he's talking about money here. He's not talking about time. Giving time is good. You need to serve. We need to serve. We need to give our time. He's not talking about talent. If we have talent to sing, we should use that talent. If we can play an instrument, we should, we should uh, talk to the worship team and say, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to be a part of this team. If we can, if we can change a diaper, we, we should... I can't change diapers. If we can uh, serve in children's ministry, so many words went through my head there, I just... If we can do that, we should do that, right? But here he's talking about money. The word here is translated in, the, in some versions 
And I grew up on the King James Version. It's translated om, om. Everybody say om, om. Maybe you remember if you were, uh, if you grew up when I did, or maybe it's, they're still singing it today, but there's a song that comes out of Acts chapter three, when Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. Anybody remember this? Now I was asked not to sing this again, this uh, service, but I sang some of it last service. I wasn't really, I wasn't really not asked, but there's a song we used to sing and it has the word om in it. How many of you remember the song? Oh, awesome. Sarah, you remember it? Good. See, I just wanted, if one person remembered it, you remember from last service and you're still hurting, right, Anita? No. So it kind of goes like this. I'll speak it to you. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He stuck out his palm and asked for an, and this is what Peter did say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, did I miss a line? The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I might have missed the line there. But the point is, he stuck his palm out for an alm, and they said silver and gold. We don't have any money. We don't have any money, but I'm going to give you something better. And they healed him. They healed him. So the same word used in Acts 3 there for money, Greek word is the same word used here in Matthew 6, four times. So he's talking about money here. He's talking about money. He's talking about when you do this. When you do this, you should, you should do it in a way where you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't, don't think, oh, you know, I got to have this money to pay my bills. Oh, you know, my right hand's telling me you got you to gotta do this, you got to do that. I'm not, against, I'm not against paying your bills. We got to pay our bills, right? We got to pay our bills. We don't want to get in trouble with that guy. But we also got to give. We ought to give. Maybe if your bills, your right hand is preventing your left hand from giving what it wants to, maybe you need to get this under control. Maybe you need to get this under control. That might be your problem. You're in debt. Maybe you need to work on that. Get out of debt. Minimize your debt. Americans are in debt today. We got to minimize that so we, can, so we can do this. So Jesus is saying, look, don't say, oh, I can't do this because i got to do this. Just do this. Do this and let God show you how he can provide for you. And so I think that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. And he said, don't be like the hypocrite. That's the Greek word for hypocrite who march up to the offering basket and they say, <clears throat> $20 bill here, boop. And Jesus used the word trumpet here. Let me tell you why. It's kind of a play on words because everybody would see this because the offering baskets were out on display where everybody could walk up and put their coin in or their dollar or whatever they had. And uh, they were shaped like a trumpet. You know, they were big at the top and small at the bottom, kind of like a funnel that would drop down into a, a, a main basket. Obviously, so they, didn't want they wanted people putting it in, but they didn't want people taking it out. They didn't want people taking it out. So that basket would have looked like a trumpet. And so Jesus used a play on words and said, you know what they do? They march up there and they, I'm giving a lot of money here. And that's, that's what he's saying. They're only doing it so that you'll say, wow, look at that. Do you see that much money he put in the offering plate? And it's impressing other people. 
You might remember the story where Jesus was watching the little widow. All these guys went up and dropped their money and then she went up and dropped a, just a widow's mite, just a small coin. Jesus said she gave more than they gave, even blowing their trumpets. Why? Because she, she, gave, she gave out of her need. She gave based on her heart. They gave out of their excess. They gave what they could have done without anyway. Now, this is not a message on giving. It's not a message on giving. But I, I think many Christians today are missing the blessing on giving. I think they're missing the blessing on giving. Because Jesus said you should, you should give. You should give. And I think we're so wrapped up in our life, in our world, that it's preventing us from really giving like we should. Jesus told the Pharisees, in Matthew 23, he said, woe to you, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now listen to this verse right here. This, but these things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, Jesus says, you're giving and that's good. I pat you on the back for that. But you're giving with the wrong motivation. I, I got to take the pad away. You're, you're just giving to be seen. You're not giving to really help people with mercy and justice and faithfulness. And so uh, today, you know, in 2023, we, we, we make it so easy for you to give in secret. You can give so many ways, a quiet offering plate, or you can give online. You can give through text. You can uh, mail it in, whatever you want to do. We make it easy for you to give, and you should be giving. You should maybe set up a recurring gift. And in addition to supporting what you love, your local church, because of what we, and I say we, I'm not talking about a we that doesn't include you. I'm talking about we as a church are doing in our community. One of those things is supporting an organization like Woman's Choice, and look at the victories we've had. If one life was saved, it's been worth it. And one Seven, you said, was saved this year. So you, you should be giving to your local church, I think, first. And also, I think you could, you could give to other organizations, like give to our church camp. You could give to um, uh, some organization like Tunnel to Towers. You could give to organizations that are doing good things to help people who are in need, needy people. And you should be doing those kind of things. Not so you can brag about it, but because it's the right thing to do. And that's what your heart's telling you to do. So you should give, but not for a pat on the back. Secondly, you should pray, Jesus said, but not for a pat on the back. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for, they, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So again, Jesus is using the Pharisee as an example of what not to do or how not to do this. You see, the Pharisees were the, as you know, and in case you don't, they were the religious leaders, and as such, they wore these long flowing robes and I'm waving my arms because can you see my robes you know they're just flowing down here like a 
you know, like, um, I don't know, you get some image. The robes are flowing. I got the image of a Chinese uh, karate master or something, but he doesn't wear a robe. And they're walking up to drop their offering in. <clears throat> and then they move over here to the corner and they say, now we shall pray our father. And they go off on this long, long, long babbling prayer and opening their eyes every now and then, or maybe not even shutting them, just to see people saying, wow, I really like that robe. I need one. I need a robe like that. Or what, what, what did he say? Wow, I've never heard, heard it put like that. And they're impressed, and that's why Jesus said they got their reward. Their reward is, wow, you're awesome. You're awesome. Well, I wish I could pray like that. I wish I could do that. That's their reward. That's all they get. Jesus said that's all they're going to get. But you're going to get something bigger and better. But not here, not now. And you're going to get it in a way, not like them, but you're going to get it in eternity. When you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So, he gives this example. We sang it this morning of the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is more a model prayer than a prayer we should mindlessly recite. You know, a lot of you know the Lord's Prayer. If I started the Lord's Prayer, you could, you could follow along with me because it's some, somehow got into our memories. And that's not a bad thing, not a bad thing, except when we pray it just out of memory. There are some groups that call it the, the, our, the our Father we got to say the Our Father three times. No, that's, that's just like magic. God, God's not a God of magic. He's a God of power. God, God does not want to hear some memorized, rote version. Not when you're an adult. And when you're a kid, I think it's fine. Teach your kids to pray. I still remember my prayers at, at my table. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. I still remember that, but I don't pray that now. I'm an adult. I, I, I pray from my heart. I pray from my heart. So, th but this prayer is kind of a model prayer. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, we're praying to the Father. We're praying to the Father. Someone said, well, why can't we pray to the Holy Spirit? I think you can pray to the Holy Spirit, but it's not the model Jesus gave us. He told us to pray to the Father. Why can't we pray to Jesus? I, I think that's fine, but generally, your prayer should be to the Father, to the Father, by the help of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. I think that's what the scripture kind of leads us in. Hallowed be your name. It's, he's holy. He's worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's, it's not my plan. It's your plan for me, which now becomes my plan in my life. Give us today our daily bread reminds us that it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. We need God every single day. Forgive us our debts. That's one we need to remember. We, we need to remember first, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation as a, as a, as a plea for help. We realize there's evil in the world and we want to stay away from it. We want to keep us away from it. And when we go through it, help us to be smart. Help us to get power over the evil one. 
And then he adds this. Uh, I think this is interesting. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That's a kind of a warning that we need to develop a forgiving heart. We need to develop a forgiving heart because we ourselves are the first guilty one in the party. And so if there's a disagreement and there's a legal thing going on and there's this first party and the second party and the first party suing the second party because the second party offended them and hurt them and broke them and did something horrible to them. The party of the first part needs to remember, yeah, but maybe I didn't do that, but I did this. And the Bible teaches me that any sin is an offense to a holy God, any sin. So God, I, I need to forgive them. Maybe it doesn't happen overnight. Maybe it doesn't happen in an instant. Maybe, maybe you need to grow into that, but that's the goal. The goal is to get to where the man who was responsible for the death of your son, you need to forgive and want what's best for him. And that's not easy, is it? That's not easy. So you should give and you should pray, but not for pats on the back. And lastly, you should fast but not for a pat on the back. You see, we don't talk a whole lot about fasting, but really we should. Fasting may be more uh, important to our spiritual lives today than ever before because we're so hooked on stuff. I mean, we, we, we love our stuff, don't we, and our technology. We love our platform. We love our phone. We love our toys. We, we love everything we can afford to buy here we're not like first century people who they couldn't have what we have you just think about the leisurely things you enjoy today think about the games you play think, think about the stuff you buy Th think about the the opportunities you have to travel and to enjoy and get on an airplane or get in your car and pay for gas and pay for food and have all the stuff and buy stuff to boot and bring it home to the other stuff you already got and pile it up in the corner. This, this is a day of fasting. And so in the, you know, today I think we could kind of expand fasting to mean anything that we think we need. In the first century, typically fasting meant food, fasting meant food. And, um, they might have fasted for a day. It might have been three days. It might have been seven days. But there would be a fast. And during this time of fast, they would, they would get hungry. And they would, they would think God, God is the giver of everything. And they would, they would thank him for the, all the stuff they had in their life before, including the food. But right now, I'm hungry. And God, I realize I could have food. But this is really reminding me how good you've been to me. You've been so good to me. I'm just gonna go a little longer. And the hungrier I get, the more I'm gonna remember how good you've been to me. I did a fast one time when I was in college for 10 days and it was the most horrible experience. <laughs> and I'm just gonna be open and honest with you, I didn't even tell the first service this, but I did it because this girl that I kinda had a, you know, she was a pretty girl, uh, because she did it and she talked to me about it. Oh, you should do this. I said, well, I can do that. 10 days. I didn't realize how addicted I was to food. It was the worst experience I've ever had. Why? Because I was doing it for the wrong motivations. 
I remember going into Kroger on about day seven, day eight. First of all, guys, you don't go into a Kroger when you're hungry. That's why your wife doesn't send you to shop. That's why click list is a wonderful tool, right? Don't let your husband have that click list because everything looks good. I remember going to the Kroger about day seven or eight, and I was in the bakery, and that bread smelled so good. It smelled so good. And I must confess, I broke my fast that evening. <laughs> I bought that loaf of bread. I bought it, and I took it back to my car, and I sat in my car and prayed over it and looked at it for a long time before just tearing it up. And I concluded that fast was a terrible idea. Why? Wrong motivations. Wrong motivations. So I would encourage you to be smarter about it than I was when I was in college. You know, skip a meal, but use that. Don't just skip it because you know you're going to lose a couple pounds. Use that time it would take you to eat to pray for woman's choice or some other need that you know is there. Read your Bible. Listen to something for that long. We should do that. We should do it more. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. You're fasting. Bless your heart. That's their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so in each of these topics, Jesus pulls the cover off of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. These folks have missed the whole point. They were supposed to be the keepers of the law. They were supposed to be the ones who understood what God said in the Old Testament, but somehow they missed what Samuel was told by God when God said, Samuel, go anoint the next king. He's one of David's sons. And Samuel gets there and he looks him over and he said, this one, I know he's the oldest and I know how God likes the firstborn and he's also tall. Listen, it ain't all about being tall. Can I get an amen? He's good looking and everything, it must be him. God said, nope, it's just not him. He said, Samuel, get with it, come on. You're looking at the exterior. You're looking at the outward things. But I look at the heart. I look at the heart. So you, before you make that decision, don't just look at the resume. You look at the, you listen to me, because I'm looking at the heart. And you try to look at the heart. That's the way we look. So our curious church member, he was disturbed. Here is preacher every Thursday afternoon was driving out of town, crossing the bridge, crossing the tracks, going down this two lane of this, this uh, dirt road in front of this trailer. What was gonna happen next? His heart was beating. What should he do? He was watching from a distance. And as I said, his preacher's head was down. And then he raised it up and got out of the car. And he walked up to the door, up those rickety wooden steps. He knocked on the door. And a woman came to the door. 
The guy said, who, who is this woman? What is going on? And for just a, a minute, maybe not even a minute, the young preacher stepped inside and then came out. And when he came out, there were, there were two little kids that came out with him. He couldn't see, but he thought maybe, maybe they weren't walking quite right. And for over an hour, he watched as his preacher kicked and threw and volleyed a big beach ball with those two kids in the yard. But who were they? Who were they? What were they to him? He had to know. So the next Sunday, after the service, he went up to the preacher, and he wanted to make sure people knew about it, and some people already knew about it. And he went to his preacher, and he said, Preacher, I've got a question. Yes, what is it, he said. He said, Thursday afternoons, what have you been doing on Thursday afternoons? The preacher's head bowed. He looked embarrassed. He couldn't say anything. And then finally he said, well, if you have to know, if you have to know. Several months ago, he said, I, I signed up to volunteer for Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And because I have a niece who has special needs, I volunteer with families who have kids with special needs just one hour a week to play with them, to sit with them, to color with them, whatever they want to do. And I've been doing that every week for the last several months on Thursday afternoons. Let me ask you, what are you doing in secret? What are you doing in secret? Are you doing something that you could stand in front of God and he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. Come and share your master's happiness. What are you doing in secret? Almighty God, we thank you today for your goodness and grace. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to practice our righteousness, to live out our faith freely in this nation. And I pray, God, that that would never end. And I pray, God, that we would always check our motivations and be right with you. I ask you, Lord, to cleanse our hearts, to help us, Lord, to be the people you've called us to be, not to be patted on the back, not to be doing things to be seen by others, but doing things because you died on a cross for our sins. And nobody else would do that. And we love you. And we know you loved us first. And Lord, we want to give our lives to you. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.